Our amazing, abundant future is just around the corner, and you're probably going to be unemployed. Hi, I'm Scott Ott with Stephen Green and Bill Whittle, and this episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. Gentlemen, there was an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, quoting Elon Musk at uh, it at some length. And uh, a lot of people have expressed concerns that if we develop all these robots and this AI capability and robots with AI capability, that pretty soon uh, nobody's going to have a job um, because uh, the, the robots will replace us all. They, you know, even, even so-called mental work can be done uh, now by computers or by, um, you know, AI kind of instruments. Um, and this is, this is where Elon Musk departs from, even though he's kind of a doomsayer about AI and, and helped to start OpenAI, which later developed ChatGPT, because he was, he was afraid of some of the threat of, of AI getting into the wrong hands. And so basically he wanted to make it open source and get as many people involved as possible. Uh, but anyway, he, he's concerned about that. He's not concerned about the job loss. In the Wall Street Journal, it said, um, Musk predicts that robots will be taking jobs that are uncomfortable, dangerous, or tedious. And here's the quote. It's fun to cook food, but it's not that fun to wash dishes. The computer is perfectly happy to wash the dishes. <laughs> and so I thought that was a nice way of simplifying it. Uh, but basically, what he says is that digital super intelligence combined by robotics will actually make goods and services almost free in the long term. And, uh, and we shouldn't worry about that because, uh, frankly, what we have is a labor shortage and we will have a labor shortage into the foreseeable future uh, because we're not having enough babies, which he's doing his best to uh, ameliorate by having 10 children. Per personally, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, Steve, I, I mean, there's so many aspects of this, um, but uh, smart computers and fast robots, strong robots can do nearly anything that humans can do. Are we ready for a world that needs neither muscles nor human brains in order to innovate, advance, and accomplish? You know, we've got uh, two different futures here, uh, uh, two different visions of the future, maybe I should, uh, I should say. One is the the original Star Trek vision of the future where uh, replicators take care of all of our basic needs and, and nobody has money or any worry about money or where they're going to sleep at night or anything like that. And we send these, these massive spaceships exploring and trying to make peace all throughout the galaxy. And it's, it's, it's a lovely vision. Uh, and that seems to be the, the one that Musk has. Uh, the other one is a little sadder. It's, it's, it's just as automated, but I joked years ago when I first read about Japan's population implosion, which is just hmm. you know accelerated in the 20 years since I, I made this silly joke you're about to hear. But my vision for uh, Japan by the year 2100 is imagine a, a, an island chain in the North Pacific consisting of uh, a series of nursing homes guarded by robots from the Matrix. Yeah. And that's it because we're not having babies. Uh, estimates for, for China at the year 2100 is anywhere between uh, 800, down to 800 million or maybe down as far as 500 million human beings. 
Uh, this country will continue to grow. In fact, it, there are some estimates we'll, we'll have more people than China by 2100. But our growth is all going to come from or mostly come from immigration, not not that we're we ourselves are having enough kids to, to grow or, or even stay stable. Uh, Spain, South Korea, Italy, um, these, these are all peoples that are, that are vanishing. Uh, and it's, it's just about the saddest thing you can possibly imagine is people who are so comfortable that they don't see a future important enough, important enough, uh, uh, worth striving for to go through the bother of having children mm -hmm. and mm. that I think I find to be deeply sad. So yeah, we're going to have robots to do the dishes, but who's going to eat the dinner? Uh, for the record, after a little over 30 years of marriage, uh, that's still one of my favorite kinds of bother. <laughs> I really, uh, <laughs> I enjoy the activity I do most of the dishes. that leads to children. Um, uh, Bill Whittle, you know, I, what I'm going to ask you here is not to answer my question, but to help me ask this question. Because I started to write the question, and I found that I went just kind of into a swirling vortex of bizarrity here. First, I started writing, I said, you know, if you're not making machines or fixing them, and then I stopped and I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, maybe the machines will be making the machines and also fixing them. Well, it, and I tried to think, what aspect of it is it, are machines not capable of doing? Well, the accounting, they could handle that. The marketing, they could handle that. The, uh, the distribution, they could handle that. And I just <laughs> I started going through. It's like, so in any case, I'm trying to flounder around and say, what will you do with your unlimited leisure time and, and your service droids uh, in a world where everything can be done, made, and serviced by creations of the human mind that now can, can continue to perpetuate themselves? Well, it turns out there's actual data for that because we have, um, for a decade at least now, approached something like that in terms of uh, Western society. So let's just kind of back up on this one. The invention of the washing machine is not anything that anybody should complain about. It's nice to be able to just push clothes in there rather than cart them down to the river and then do them on the washboard and the lye soap that you had to make yourself and trot them back and hang them out on the things. The washing machine is a wonderful, wonderful invention of the industrial era that saved a lot of work and, and a lot of drudgery. That's the word we're really looking for here, drudgery. Yeah. What we're talking about now are, are things that are the, the functional equivalent of washing machines for the information age. The perfect solution, which is not going to happen, but the but the ideal solution is the is the washing machine. In other words, uh, a form of AI that does the dirty work that is just time consuming and um, and frees you up for more creative things. For example, as you know, well, Scott, you did it for years. I'm doing it now. When we post these shows, we have to make a set we have to peel off a copy for soundcloud we have to post that with the same description as the one on rumble we have to post it on youtube we have to post it on facebook we have to make an entry in the in the um in the uh, website and so on i could simply write one paragraph and have a piece of software do all of that and i wouldn't miss that at all yeah. okay so so that kind of thing is great but like i said there is data here and this star trek utopia that I, I mean, my, this is this is a Star Trek museum where I where I live, but it's not how humans are built, and we know this to be true 
because virtually everybody, I, I, I have yet to see people in, in inner cities who don't have cell phones. Everybody has access to the internet. Everybody, everybody does. Yeah. And so you have the ability to teach yourself any skill you want to. You can get PhDs online. Forget PhDs. You can get, you can get a very, very capable um, training in plumbing on the internet. And we can all use this perfectly free service in order to better ourselves, but that's not what we're doing. We're watching internet porn and we're playing online computer games and we're becoming more and more isolated from the essence of life. And so we have data on this. This utopian vision has so much appeal that sometimes the the glare of it blinds us. And it's a simple thing, but it's, it really bears thinking about. Many years ago, uh, I think while we were back at PJTV, there was a, a movie came out, Disney movie called Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland is my whole life. I mean, it's either Star Trek or Tomorrowland. It's, you know, Sid Mead and that, that, that future we were all robbed of. But, but here's the thing that struck me when I watched Tomorrowland. There's this plain of like wheat. It's just this open, beautiful country. It's not a mark on it. And then right there in the middle is the city. And it's all beautiful. It's all glass, completely self-contained. And I looked at this and I said, where are the suburbs? Yeah. And where are the slums? Because there are going to be people who can afford to live in Tomorrowland, but there are also going to be people who want to be in Tomorrowland but can't afford to live in Tomorrowland, and they will build their housing up against Tomorrowland, and that's this idea of a city standing alone in the middle of an open plain is is a is a physical impossibility. It's just not possible, and so we have to then start asking ourselves at what point. Do we make this decision? The ultimate thing about AI for me, really, the ultimate curse of AI is not that these things turn us all into, you know, into, um, you know, s slaves that can work in their underground sugar mines for them. The, the, the worst part about true AI is if you, in, if you were to actually achieve this goal, and I don't think they will, but if you were able to do that, where every single thing that you could possibly do is, is done better by a computer, then what on earth would life be for? For example, take Burt Rutan. He's one of the most, the, arguably the most brilliant aircraft designer in the world. Well, if you have AI that can, that can run 200,000 iterations or, or 200 million iterations, then what, what do you need Burt Rutan for? In fact, what do you need anything for? Why would you, why would you paint or why would you write if it turns out that everything you do is going to be you know c minus compared to what these machines are doing and so what they're really talking about doing are is making machines that that remove the purpose of life a washing machine does not remove your purpose from life um funny you mentioned ai i almost went with this topic this week it's a trivial little thing but i just found out about it today there is a software that I just bought. When we're, whenever you're talking on a webcam, you're looking at the image. The webcam's over here, so your eyes are always just a little bit off-centered. And sometimes they've got these little tiny little webcams, and you know, stick them right there where the person's face is. And I said, why don't they do this with software? Turns out they do. There's software called Descript, and basically what happens is you can look down to the side here and read your script, and then the AI will center your eyes, and, you'll, and, you, and you can't tell. Wow. That, that's awesome. That's just, that's just fantastic. <laughs> that's great. But if you were talking about, so, so that helps me deliver content. But if you're talking about delivering the content without me in the picture, then it's not my content. Then there's nothing, there's no purpose for me. And 
And so if the thing is a washing machine and allows me to read a script and then I run it through this processor and it looks like I'm staring right in the camera the whole time, it makes me more effective. It makes what I'm doing more effective, but it doesn't replace me. If on the other hand, you're talking about, you know, political essays or whatever essays that are written completely by AI, then it does replace me. And, and the reason I don't think they're ever going to get there is, is that it's impossible for AI to have a biological experience. And so all it will ever do is triangulate on what that is supposed to sound like. I have yet to see anything that looked like creativity out of AI. I'll be worried about AI, not when they come up with questions that they, that, that, that it can't answer. I'll, I'll start thinking AI is real when the AI starts asking us questions in the middle of the night. That's when I'll, <laughs> I'm serious. When the phone rings at 4 a.m. and it's like, hi, it's Dave. Why do you think that, 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 what, what is it about a bird that is so beautiful? Yeah. What is it? I, that's, when, that's when you know you're, you're over the target. Well, and we're still at the point, at least my understanding is, with uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm, I'm a somewhat heavy user of uh, <clears throat> Microsoft has built in a, uh, an AI chat feature into their Bing browser. And I use that a lot. I also use ChatGPT. It's on the home screen of my phone. Um, and I use it largely to help me figure out coding issues for apps that I'm building. Um, and, and to me, I currently look at AI as an employee uh, That's the word. That I don't really have to pay. If I had a robot, I would look at them as an employee that I don't have to fire, that won't get injured, or at least won't get injured in a way that will be an emotional, psychic burden on anybody. Um, it won't sue you anyway. Unlikely to sue me. Um, and, and at this point, even the most sophisticated AI have to be fed all of the material that they're going to draw upon, and then they have to be told what we want them to do. Uh, it's not like you have an AI machine that's just sitting there with no human interaction that says, you know what? I wonder if we can develop a nuclear-powered helicopter. You know, and wouldn't it be great to have a nuclear-powered helicopter? Now, if you said, be cool. if you said to ChatGPT, I want you to tell me how to build a nuclear-powered helicopter. It would give you some kind of answer to that question. It may tell you that it's not possible to do with current technology. It may tell you, here's how you would do it. Uh, but you but you have to have the idea. You have to tell it to do the thing. Um, the same when I'm making apps. I have, to, I have this idea in my mind of what I want it to be. ChatGPT does not have an idea in its mind of an app that it wants to build. It just responds to the request that I, I make to it. And so I, I think uh, in a way, if you want to dream of a future world where uh, we've got these super intelligent computers and these super powerful robots, I, I dream of a world that empowers me to create a company essentially where I'm the only human employee and 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 we can make things and we can build stuff and we can create content. Uh, I think it it brings greater prominence to the human personality and spirit than otherwise might happen right now. I mean, how many people are working in an assembly line job and we just heard for weeks that the auto uh, workers uh, union was, you know, attacking basically the automakers and trying to get them to to increase pay. When I heard how much people were getting paid to do essentially assembly line jobs, I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. These people are making better money than I am uh, for for doing a repetitive function over and over on an assembly line. 
But are they fulfilled? Are they happy? Or do they just basically say, look, I don't need to be fulfilled for eight hours a day. Eight hours a day is the price I pay for being fulfilled with my family and Little League and Boy Scouts and and horseback riding and hunting and whatever else I do on the side. So I, I think these are good questions to at least bandy about and maybe to think deeply about and say, what would I do if I had essentially unlimited time because I didn't have to do the the mechanical functions or the brain things that I'm currently doing, if I could outsource that, and what would I really focus on? In other words, thank you to AI for making me ask the question, who am I? For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible.